The sports world has been greening itself for most of the century, but despite these efforts, most fans have no idea. That changes now. Welcome to Green Sports Pod. Hosted by Lou Blaustein, Green Sports Pod highlights the successes, challenges, and opportunities to green the games we love to watch and play, and give you the chance to hear from the athletes who are taking positive environmental actions. Learn more and subscribe to the show today at greensportsblog.com. Hi there, I'm Lou Blaustein, and welcome to episode 11 of Green Sports Pod. Elizabeth Beisel grew up in the water, both in the pool, where she became an Olympic medal-winning swimmer for Team USA, and in the waters off the coast of her native Rhode Island, which basically served as her childhood backyard. That lifelong appreciation of the ocean has motivated the 28-year-old Beisel to become an environmental and climate activist in her post-swimming career. Before we delve into the green aspects of Beisel's story, let's dive into her start as a swimmer. She was a prodigy from a very young age. For me, I always had what we call as swimmers a natural feel for the water. I was never fighting against the water. I was always just swimming with it. And that goes through technique and just how your body works in the water. And my body works really well in the water. It did not work really well on land. I tried soccer, ballet, basketball, you name it. I was doing it, but I just never excelled to the extent that I was in the pool on land. And so for me, around seven years old, I started breaking national records. So I was the fastest eight and under athlete in the country ever. So that was kind of an indicator as to, you know what, swimming is probably going to be my thing. So at seven years old, Beisel was the number one swimmer in America. But it was the next year when she was eight, after the 2000 Sydney Olympics, that she set her own Olympics course. So I watched these Olympics and a few months later, I went to a clinic and they brought in an Olympian from the 2000 games and her name was Amanda Beard. And she had competed, she had won medals at these Olympics, gold medals. And it was a clinic in Boston. And I remember she has on all of her Olympic gear. She has her medals with her. She's an icon to me. And before she started the clinic, she sat all of us, there were 60 kids at this clinic. She sat all of us down on the bleachers and she looked at us and she said, at least one of you on these bleachers will be an Olympian one day. I don't even know if she meant it or not, but I took it as though she knew what she was talking about and I was going to be that Olympian. And so at seven years old, I hear Amanda Beard say this and I had a light switch go off in my head and I said, I'm going to do whatever it takes to become that next Olympian. Amanda Beard said it was gonna happen, so I'm gonna do it. And so 10 years after that, or no, eight years after that, I'm sorry, in 2008, I was 15 years old and I qualified for my first Olympic team. And I remember when you make the Olympic team for swimming, once the entire trials are over, they kind of parade you out around the stadium and they announce you in alphabetical order. And Amanda Beard, had qualified for that team as well. And Amanda Beard's last name is spelled B-E-A-R-D. I'm Beisel, B-E-I-S-E-L. So I am right behind her in alphabetical order. And I'm standing behind Amanda Beard. And I had this like out of body experience where I kind of just like went through this time warp. And I remember sitting on those bleachers, listening to Amanda say that. And it just clicked. I was like, 
I am sitting here eight years later behind Amanda Beard on the same Olympic team with her. And she doesn't even remember me from eight years ago, but she has no idea how impactful she was to my journey to where I am now. And so I remember I tapped her on the shoulder. I mustered up the courage to be like, Amanda, you have no idea who I am or my story, but I just want to let you know that you are a huge part of me being here right now. And she thought it was the coolest thing. And she and I have an amazing relationship now because of that. But it just goes to show that you can be one person and have oh, an incredible impact on somebody. And she didn't even know she was doing it. Beisel was a sophomore in high school when she made the 2008 Olympic team. It was an out-of-body experience for her. Being on the Olympic stage as a 15-year-old is like staring at a deer in headlights. That was who I was. And I was a little naive going into it because since I was seven, that was my dream. And I worked really hard and I made it happen. And so I didn't have anything to compare it to. So I kind of was just absorbing everything as much as I could. I was just a sponge. And as a 15-year-old, I walk into the dining hall at the Olympic Village, and I am behind people like Usain Bolt, Serena Williams, all of these people that I have posters of in my room still. And I have this moment where I'm like, wait, I'm eating in the same dining hall at the same Olympics as Serena Williams. I have no business being here. It was humbling. And that was kind of the coolest experience for me was seeing all these athletes that I admire, that I've looked up to, that I've taken skills from and used into my own toolbox. And now I'm here at the same level as them. And it was kind of just like this moment of, oh my gosh, I've done it. But that was nothing compared to having to go back to high school in Rhode Island as a 15-year-old Olympian. I mean, the transition from the individual medley to Algebra 2 cannot be an easy one. So it was very hard for me coming home from the Olympics. In my events, I placed fourth and fifth. So I just missed the podium as a 15-year-old, which as a 15-year-old, I kind of looked at it as, okay, hopefully this isn't my last Olympics. Hopefully it's the first of many. So when I come back in four years or eight years, I will be on the podium. But what was crazy for me was coming back. I was a sophomore in high school and I was now kind of the face of the entire state of Rhode Island. And Rhode Island is so small, when somebody does something that's extra cool, you are the talk of the town. I remember one particular class where I'm sitting in my desk and I look at the chalkboard and there's four newspaper articles about me hanging on the chalkboard. I have always strived to be normal. And I know normal is such a blanket term, but I never wanna be put on a pedestal because I simply swim faster than you. That is the only thing that I do better than you. There is no reason to glorify me into this superhero where really all I've done is I've worked hard and I've committed myself to something. And yeah, I might have a little bit more talent in the pool than the average Joe that I'm sitting next to in my high school Spanish class. But I kind of just wanted to blend in and do my own thing. And so it was hard for me to adjust into that. I don't want to call it a celebrity life, but walking down the hallways and having peers of mine ask for my photo. Beisel's push to make it to her second Olympics, this time London 2012, exposed her to what can be a debilitating grind, both physically and especially mentally. 
for many athletes whose sports are in the spotlight, but once every four years. We are training every single day for four years for our chance to make it big at one event, and that event is the Olympics. And if you do not show up and perform at those Olympics, you, quote unquote, wasted four years, and you either have to make the decision to train again for another four, or you retire. And there is so much pressure put on the Olympics for us Olympic athletes, because that is where we get all of our sponsors. That is where we get our medal money. And the difference between a silver and a gold, gold, you're getting sponsored by Nike. You're going to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated. You're going to get all these things. Silver, you might get a little bit of metal money, but you're forgotten about. And that is the sad truth of the Olympics. And the media, they love to pick their favorite athletes and they run with them. And then it's kind of like a conveyor belt. You do your four years of being on top and then the next youngster is coming up to take your place. And it's just a constant conveyor belt. And it's hard as an Olympic athlete because I think people do put us on a pedestal and they admire us. And this is all for good reason. We do train our entire lives. We are successful. But I think what most people don't understand is that we're not millionaires. I am not making my lifetime worth of money by swimming at the Olympics. And I've had so many people come up to me and they'll say it, not in this way, not so black and white, but, oh, you're an Olympic swimmer. You're set for life. You have plenty of money. And I'm like, you actually have no idea. You have more money than I do. You're kind of left sitting alone, wondering if you did something wrong, why doesn't anybody want to hear from me anymore? And so we call that as athletes, the post-Olympic depression stage, where you go from the highest of the highs to the lowest of the lows. And that's the kind of hit of reality that we have to take once we're back from the Olympics. Post-Olympic depression syndrome is a serious thing for many athletes. Michael Phelps, the greatest Olympic swimmer of all time, suffered from it. He recently produced and narrated The Weight of Gold, a must-watch HBO documentary about his battle and the struggles of some of his fellow Olympians. Elizabeth Beisel was largely able to navigate the stresses of the run-up to her second Olympics. I wanted a gold, obviously, but I was thrilled and ecstatic to win not just one, but two Olympic medals. In the two events I swam, I was on the podium. That was a win. And it hit me hard when I got home because I had to fly straight from the Olympics to the University of Florida because classes started. So literally the day after I finished competing and swimming was over, I flew to Florida. And the next day I was sitting in a lecture hall taking notes. As with Beisel's first Olympics, she faced some challenges when she returned to school, this time at the University of Florida. One of the biggest swimming schools in the country. But you have to understand, two weeks ago, I was swimming in front of 15,000 fans in front of millions of viewers on television. And now I'm going to 800 fans and maybe 30 people tuning in online. And it's just, it's such a juxtaposition of fan base and excitement. And I wanted to get excited for these dual meets at Florida, but I couldn't because it was like going from playing at the Super Bowl to, all right, we're going to do a little peewee game in my backyard. I feel horrible saying it, but personally, it was really hard for me to get excited for these meets. 
This was a new and uncomfortable feeling for Beisel, her own case of Olympic depression syndrome. But she did something about it, working with a sports psychologist provided by the university, who over time helped Beisel change her attitude about swimming. By the time I was a senior at the University of Florida, I had fallen back in love with swimming. I had dealt with that post-Olympic depression, and I was finally feeling like myself again. And that was when I finally got the opportunity to swim pro, which means I've extinguished my NCAA eligibility, meaning that I am no longer a scholarship athlete. I've done my four years. Now I can sign with a company to sponsor me as a swimmer. And I was able to sign with Speedo. I signed a three and a half year contract with them, which for a swimmer is a huge deal. That provided me stability for the next three and a half years, knowing that, hey, money is not an issue. I can train. I will be supported to try and make my third Olympic team. And that is too often times the reason why swimmers stop. They are not financially supported. They cannot financially support themselves. And so for me to have that sponsorship in Speedo saved me. Her relationship with swimming repaired. Beisel set out on one more four-year Olympic slog in search of that elusive gold medal at Rio 2016 in at least one of her two events, the 400-meter individual medley and the 200-meter backstroke. In May 2016, one month before the Olympic trials and two months before Rio, Beisel swam the third fastest time in the world. She was peaking at just the right time. Then, a week before the trials, she came down with a severe stomach virus, which landed her in the hospital for seven nights. She lost eight pounds and was in no condition to swim. Yet somehow, her will, her muscle memory, and the fitness she built up over four years allowed her to make the team in the 400 individual medley. But then, two days later, I'm in the warm-up pool at Olympic trials. I'm warming up for my turn backstroke, which is the other event that I'm, quote unquote, supposed to make the team in. And I collide hands with another woman in the warm-up pool. And in swimming, you hit people all the time in the pool. That's just how it is. When you have 40 people in a lane, you're going to hit hands with somebody. But this time when I hit my hand, I was like, oh, this is like a serious hit. I couldn't swim to the other end of the pool, serious. So I literally go to the ER that day in my racing suit. I'm dripping wet in my parka, towel wrapped around my waist. I get an x-ray and sure enough, I have fractured my pinky finger. So now I'm like, all right, I'm not going to be able to swim the rest of Olympic trials. I have a fractured finger and I'm going to the Olympics with a fractured finger. And I don't care who you are. If you have a fractured finger at the Olympics in swimming, you're not going to do as well as you want to do. And at that point, the finger, me being in the hospital the week before trials, all of that came together with a perfect storm. And I just mentally checked out. I pretty much surrendered to the fact that Rio 2016 was not going to be the Olympics that I hoped it to be. And because I believed in that mindset and that idea, guess what? It wasn't the Olympics that I wanted it to be. And I have nobody to blame but myself for that. Even though Rio 2016 did not turn out the way Beisel had hoped, no gold medal, no medal at all, she was able to make something positive out of her final Olympics experience. I was elected team captain. 
And I remember after my 400 IM where I placed six, I went straight to the shower and I sat in that shower for probably 45 minutes and I just cried. And I came to a crossroads in that 45 minute crying session in the shower. And I said to myself, Elizabeth, you can either hate the next seven days. You can loathe these last Olympics that you will go to because at this point, I know that was my last Olympics. I'm probably gonna be done soon with my swimming. So I was like, you can either hate the fact that you're here and not enjoy your last Olympics, or you can rise to the occasion and be the team captain that you were elected to be by your fellow Olympic teammates. And enjoy it. Enjoy the last time that you're gonna be at the Olympics and watching people like Michael Phelps compete or Katie Ledecky compete. And so I chose the latter option. I decided I wasn't able to provide for the team in a medal count, but I'm going to help everybody else win medals. I'm gonna do whatever it takes to be the best teammate that I can possibly be to help the United States become the most successful Olympic team that we have ever seen in the sport of swimming. And we did just that. Her competitive swimming career over, Faisal began to pursue sports casting. She became a commentator on collegiate swimming events and hopes to analyze swimming at the Tokyo Olympics next summer, should those games occur. In the meantime... I had to figure out a way to become an advocate for the water in a different way. And for me, that was the environment and the ocean and ocean conservation and climate change. To do so, Beisel returned to Rhode Island and began volunteering for Save the Bay, a nonprofit dedicated to protecting and improving Narragansett Bay and all the waters that flow into it. She was drawn to the organization when she was a little girl, frustrated by the fact that she was too young to take part in the annual Save the Bay swim. Fast forward to 2020, and Beisel now old enough to take part in the 1.7-mile swim from Newport to Jamestown, has become a staunch advocate for healthy waterways. I was just always super connected to the ocean and wanting to preserve it as much as I could because that's where I learned how to swim, basically. That's where my love for the water first started. And through my swimming career, the ocean was always the place that I would go to to find peace. And it was almost where I, like, figured out the problems that I was having in the pool, in my other favorite body of water. So I hold the ocean near and dear to my heart. I think it's therapeutic. And obviously, climate change is happening. It is real. It's here. The ocean is obviously absorbing a lot more CO2 lately because of all the emissions that we're putting into the air. So all these things, now that I'm done swimming, are finally things that I can really pour myself 100% into. Since I've been done swimming, I've been an ambassador for Save the Bay, and I've done a ton of work with them. I can finally swim the swim. I'm old enough to do it. And I do a lot of teaching. They have a summer camp, and I'll go in and talk about ocean sustainability and single-use plastic reduction and all these things that little kids need to be exposed to because they're like sponges. And the sooner that we implement these habits, it's going to elicit habits back, and it's going to basically pay itself off. And that's kind of what we need to do. We need to teach the future about these things because we are quickly running out of time to take care of the world that we live on and in. And the ocean is kind of at the forefront of that for me. In addition to her work with Save the Bay, Beisel is... I'm also an ambassador for Oceanic Global. And they have implemented a new initiative called Super. And it's single-use plastic reduction. 
And they are starting to implement this initiative into large stadiums. So they did it at the Hard Rock Stadium in Miami for the Super Bowl a few months ago. And what I'm doing right now is I'm trying to be the middleman between Oceanic Global and the Super Initiative and Olympic trials for swimming. Because we host our Olympic trials at a stadium that seats 15,000 people on top of the 2,000 athletes that are there, the coaches, there's so many people. We're bringing in over 20,000 people into one stadium. If we can get the stadium that we use in Omaha, Nebraska to sign off on this super initiative, we're going to phase out 99% of the single-use plastics in that one stadium. And so that's kind of the way that I'm leveraging my platform within the swimming world to help Oceanic Global and to help really spread the message of, hey, this is something that needs to be taken seriously and right now. Of course, Faisal is well aware that depending on where things stand with the coronavirus pandemic next spring, the 2021 Olympic trials may be contested without fans. But connecting Oceanic Global's super initiative with USA Swimming will turn out to be a great thing once fans do come back to arenas en masse. And Beisel has not let COVID-19 stifle her environmental and climate activism. She recently joined EcoAthletes, the nonprofit I helped found, to inspire and coach athletes to take climate action as one of our newest champions. And she used the COVID-induced downtime to host webinars for hundreds of young, up-and-coming swimmers about a wide range of topics, including the environment and climate. I was hosting webinars weekly, and a lot of the things that I would talk about, and we would have up to 3,000 people tune in, was climate change. And you could even just see the environment's reaction to all of us quarantining. The world, like, healed. What was it? The canals in Venice were all of a sudden crystal clear. You could just see the pollution die down. So I would often talk about that and say, guys, this is happening right before our eyes. And it's not taking that long. What has it been? Two months at that time where everything is cleared up? And it's like if we just consciously put in an effort to make small changes every single day, that's going to make a huge impact in 10, 20, 30 years for the future, our children, our grandchildren, for where they're going to be living. And so I do talk about it a lot on webinars. I post a lot about it on social media. Given Elizabeth Beisel's knowledge, passion, joie de vivre, and her platform as a high-profile swimming commentator, she is well-positioned to be a credible, influential voice for climate action from poolside and beyond. I, for one, can't wait to hear her voice and see her impact on climate. If you'd like to follow Elizabeth Beisel on social, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram at the same address at E. Beisel, that's B as in boy, E-I-S-E-L 34, at E. Beisel 34. And please subscribe to and also like Green Sports Pod on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening, and see you next time on Green Sports Pod. You've been listening to Green Sports Pod, hosted by Lou Blaustein. Subscribe today on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And head on over to greensportsblog.com, the source for news and commentary at the intersection of green and sports. Thanks, and we'll see you next time 
on Green Sports Pod.